Thanks for tuning in. I'm Scott Walter. And I'm Michael Watson. In this episode, Elon Musk, the founder of Tesla and SpaceX, faces scrutiny from his fellow liberals as he attacks the press. This is the Influence Watch podcast. Elon Musk, the businessman behind electric car manufacturer Tesla Motors, spaceflight venture SpaceX, and environmentalist energy company turned Tesla subsidiary Solar City, has enjoyed all kinds of positive press from the mainstream media over the past several years. Joining a cool techie vision with environmentalist bona fides, Musk is a major cultural player and the darling of the press until last week when he lashed out at mainstream media coverage that recently turned hostile. Despite enjoying a $7,500 per car federal tax credit subsidy, and that doesn't include state-level subsidies, Tesla Motors is in financial difficulties. Making matters trickier for Musk, the United Auto Workers Labor Union is trying to unionize a Tesla manufacturing plant in California and running a media campaign alleging improper labor practices at the plant, a typical union organizing tactic. Even as Consumer Reports, a magazine partly funded by left-wing and environmentalist foundations, declared that it can't recommend Tesla's Model 3 until Musk promised an upgrade to the car's brakes. All this provoked Musk to lash out at the press, and his attack turned the left-leaning mainstream media against their one-time visionary. But all this raises a question. What should you think of Musk if you started out skeptical of a government-subsidized transportation toy for the affluent? Uh, well, Mike, let's start by just unpacking all the layers of green subsidies uh, and corporate welfare that Musk is getting. Yeah, Musk and Tesla especially. Uh, SpaceX receives government funding, but it tends to be government con the government pays Musk to perform a service, pr pays SpaceX to perform a service. The military pays to put a satellite in space. Uh, NASA pays to put a, uh, a telescope in space. Uh, the government is getting something for its, uh, for its expenditure on that sort of stuff. Uh, for Tesla, there have been, there has been a lot of just straightforward, here's some money. Uh, the LA Times tried to unpack it back in 2015. They estimated it was just under $5 billion to that point. Yeah, that's that, billion with a B. Yes, five, five billion. <laughs> uh, that number has probably increased, uh, given that that estimate is now two and a half years old. And yet, the company has... And and yet the, co the company remains in in uh, some financial difficulties. Uh, now a lot of those subsidies take the form of tax credits to buyers of Tesla's vehicles because Tesla's vehicles produce no point source emissions. We'll get to that massive qualifier in a little bit. Uh, the government says, "Great, you know, here's here's seventy five hundred dollars." The federal government says, "Here's seventy five hundred dollars." Uh, off your taxes to to buy one. Now, the from an economic perspective, that is no different than if the government simply wrote a seventy five hundred dollar check uh, to the buyer of an electric car. Uh, if politically, if anything, it's a little more insidious because uh, it's it's easier to see when the government 
you know, mails you a check, when the government is mailing people checks or is explicitly providing someone a cash subsidy as opposed to, oh, you just take a write-off of your taxes. That was your money to begin with. But functionally, you're still using government money or government deferring money to get a member of the general public to do exactly what the government wants it to do, in this case, to buy an electric car. Yes, those taxes that you're saving will be made up for by someone who probably earns significantly less than the average yeah. Tesla yeah, the, the buyer te- like the, the Leonardo te- DiCaprio right, right. The, te- the Tesla Model S base price, uh, I was looking it up the other day, is 60,000 60, after the 7,500 off. Uh, so you're talking a mid-level, you can get a decent AMG Mercedes for that price uh, to give, you know, and when you get up into the higher range, I think the the P1000, the top of the range model with the maximum performance and the maximum range battery, uh, you're up into the hundreds. Uh, you're up into, you know, 911 turbos and things that car enthusiasts get excited about. Yeah, something that you can be very proud of when you hit that Santa Monica Shishi restaurant. Very, uh, and very the much. valet parks it and for the, you. And the valet parks it for you. Yeah, my, my son in high school hopes to earn enough to buy his first car, and it will be significantly less than the subsidy on the Tesla. In, in, all, in all probability, yes. <laughs> um, and, and that $7,500 tax subsidy is only the beginning of the subsidies that various levels of government have given Tesla. Uh, in 2009, they received a taxpayer loan. Uh, they were floated a loan by the Obama administration on something of the order of $465 million, million with an M. Um, when Tesla built a factory in Nevada, the state offered them subsidies and tax abatements and uh, other uh, corporate welfare benefits that the LA Times estimated at $1.3 billion uh, just, for one, just for one factory. From one state. From one state. Uh, you know, and to get an idea of how much that $7,500 subsidy to the buyers accumulates just through 2015, again, the LA Times estimated that they, that Tesla buyers had collected $284 million in just that one subsidy, not including the, uh, the Nevada tax abatements and other uh, state tax subsidies for the buyers of, of Tesla products. California has a, a way to uh, slide money to Tesla too, correct? A couple. Um, the, the state of California has very strict air quality rules for cars. Uh, in part, that's because of the geography around Los Angeles, uh, where the mountains basically cut it off from the sea, and so all the Back, you know, back in the 60s when, you know, cars all got five miles to the gallon and leaded fuel and no catalytic converters, so all the nasty stuff came out the back. And that's where, you know, Los Angeles' infamous smog comes from. Uh, California responds by putting on its own air quality rules. It was grandfathered into the um, original EPA rules on car tailpipe admissions. California still gets to set its own rules because they had set rules beforehand. Um so now, as those rules have evolved, California now has a program, uh, a sort of a, a one of those cap and tax programs, where uh, California says there have to be a certain number of electric cars on the road, and automakers who don't produce a certain number of electric cars get have to buy and sell tradable credit, you know, these tradable credits, uh, to make the correct number, make the correct number of electric cars. 
Tesla makes only electric cars, so they collect a lot of credits that they can then go ahead and sell to, uh, uh, among, you know, Honda. Uh, now they just introduced one, but in past years, Honda had, pr- had not made a plug-in electric vehicle. So Honda would have to go to Tesla or would have to go to somebody else who was making a large number of electric cars and buy them to continue selling cars in California. Yep. And these subsidies are so valuable to the company's business uh, that they even include them in their advertising, don't they? Yeah. When you when you go to Tesla's website and you you know when you go to these high end car websites, you can in fact even low end car websites, you can you know build your car. You know, put in a bunch of options and see. Oh, okay. How much? How much? You tell me the base price. How much for the nice one? Well, in the fine print on Tesla's. And you know, and they always quote, and they always quote your price. They always quote your MSRP. In the fine print on the one you get on the Tesla website, it tells you that the li- that the the list price is quote after estimated savings, and of course, the most prominent of these estimated savings is the federal tax credit, uh, because if you know, again, they would rather sell you a, the same car at sixty thousand dollars than at sixty seven thousand five hundred. Uh, you know, you can start tacking on options to your to your AMG Mercedes at sixty seven five. That you know, sixty. Oh, okay, well, you know, makes it look like a more competitive product, yep. despite all the problems. And uh, Tesla Motors is not the only Elon Musk company uh, that gets all this nice taxpayer gravy. No, until un, until very recently, tax credits were scheduled to expire in twenty seventeen. Um, the Solar City, which does household solar panel installations, uh, received there was a substantial tax write-off if you installed it. Now the individual tax write-off was scheduled to expire in twenty in twenty seventeen. Uh, the business tax write-off shrank uh, for for installing uh, these products. Now, again, Musk sometimes will say publicly that he wants these uh, these subsidies to be phased out, that they don't actually help his company, that kind of conflicts with his lobbying record. Uh, the, yes, it's not small either, is it? it you're into the, I, I believe in 2017, they were, or 2016, they were in the six figures. Um, they were retaining very high-powered lo- lobbying firms up until 2017. Uh, the Podesta Group, which we discussed in our uh, in our episode about uh, the Center for American Progress, uh, very closely aligned with the Clinton family and with uh, people who were very closely allied with the Clintons. The Podesta Group was one of the firms which uh, which Tesla retained in 2017 after something happened. Uh, the Podesta Group were no longer retained by Tesla, um, and, you know, and we'll get we'll get into that discussion later. Um, but certainly they have lobbied heavily on subsidy policy, on mandates, uh, on general environmentalist policy that would advance the ability uh, of Tesla to have, an, you know, have essentially an unfair advantage in car sales. Um, and, and, this, and again, this has continued at least as late as 2017. So you're telling me that the motivation would not appear to be simply saving the planet. Uh, certainly, Musk stands to make a great deal of money if the planet is saved by adopting electric cars. 
Got you. Well, at least electric cars means that there's no connection. If, if, if I somehow found the money to buy one of these lovely vehicles for myself, at least I would be saving the planet because my car would have no connection whatsoever to any sort of fossil fuel, right? Uh, no. Uh, you, the, all the Tesla charging stations or most people, you know, charge them in their, in their garages. Uh, you're drawing from the group, from the national grid. The national grid is 60% or so supplied by, uh, traditional energy, by traditional combustion energy sources. Um, now that it, okay, so that's only 60% is supplied by traditional combustion energy sources. Of course, 20% of the, the, the next block of 20%, uh, is nuclear energy, which I tend to think is really cool, but environment, environmentalists tend not to, um, you know, and, and then much of the remain, remaining 20% comes from hydroelectricity, uh, which also I think is really cool, but environmentalists tend not to. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, subsidy troubles and financial troubles are not the only uh, issues causing Musk to lose sleep these days. Uh, we mentioned in the setup a bit uh, that he is starting to have union trouble too. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so there's been a lot of reporting over the last couple months uh, that Tesla some allegedly has lousy labor practices, uh, that they weren't following the occupational safety rules. Um, that, of course, coincides, not at, all coinc not at all coincidentally, I'm sure, with the fact that the United Auto Workers is attempting to organize Tesla's factory in California. Uh, the, when... The, the factory used to be unionized when it was controlled by a GM-Toyota joint venture. GM-Toyota weren't making money on the plant. They move out. Uh, lies vacant. Tesla moves in. It's now a new business, a new shop, no union. Uh, so the UAW wants to reestablish itself at the plant, uh, and they have started what it is known to us labor nerds as a corporate campaign. Uh, yeah, what is a corporate campaign? Yes, the in a very in a number of meth they have a number of methods to make life difficult for a brand to damage and tarnish the brand um, by making a number by making allegations about unfair labor practices by making allegation by using uh, lobbying to either condition favorable government policy on union work standards, which the UAW has done in California, um, by uh, filing often frivolous National Labor Relations Board complaints uh, regarding working conditions, uh, by public demonstrations, by media outreach on the union's allegations. So how this has gone is, kind of, is going down at Tesla in California uh, the UAW pushed a bill uh, that would condition all those nice taxpayer subsidies for buying electric cars on the labor practices <laughs> at the manufacturing plants. Hitting him in the subsidies. That's hitting, hitting, a really low hitting, blow. Hitting Mr. Musk where it hurts. Uh, they've also you know, filed labor board charges alleging unfair labor practices, alleging uh, hostility to illegal hostility to the union organizing, uh, and they've made substantial uh, 
you know, there were some big pieces written about labor labor practices at Tesla, alleging that they were well well beneath the industry standard. Now Tesla denies this. They have some evidence to back themselves up. Um, and again, I don't trust a union. I, I don't. When a union is trying to organize a plant, I don't trust the union to tell me what the working conditions are at the plant. Um, and that is what's going on. Um, and the unions have, just as Mr. Musk invests heavily in lobbying, the unions have invested heavily in this campaign. Fox Business estimated that the when you can look at, the, the unions have to make these federal disclosures every year that say what they spent on everything. And from that, you can analyze and estimate how much they're spending on trying to organize a particular facility, especially with the auto workers, because the facilities they're trying to organize are very, very large, and they tend not to be in you know, downtown New York City or downtown Washington, D.C. So the UAW tried to organize a Nissan plant in Canton, Tennessee, or Canton, Mississippi, sorry. Uh, so anything, that, you know, all expenditures that are, you know, within 20 miles of Canton, Mississippi, probably are related to that campaign. So Fox Business did an estimate on, or reported that there was an estimate from the UAW's Labor Department filings uh, that suggests that the union spent something on the order of $400,000 trying to organize Tesla. Not cheap. Now, another aspect of uh, corporate campaigns is they in a, they almost always will include that, of course, that the, uh, uh, the working conditions are terrible and therefore the workers need to be protected by the, the, the selfless union bosses. But um, there often is also a, a claims about the quality of whatever the product, the good or service mm-hmm. uh, being done. Is that Has that risen in some of the Tesla effort? Sort of. Uh, Consumer Reports magazine, which is a a left-wing aligned, uh, not directly union-funded, but left-wing aligned. Uh, Board members have associations with some some actually very left-wing organizations, some of which take a substantial amount of union money. Uh, Does, you know, does car reviews, and a lot of people really, really trust those car reviews. And uh, their initial review of Tesla, the Tesla Model 3, their kind of standard sedan vehicle, is generally considered by analysts to be the car that will sink or swim the company. If they hit their targets on sales and their targets on production for the Model 3, they can make it. If, yeah, this is the lower rent version, this right? Is, this, this is, is not the, the Leonardo DiCaprio is, is not, not buying the, this one. not the $60,000 base Model S. This is the. They say they want to get it down to thirty-five thousand. After again, all prices are after you, the taxpayer, paid seventy-five hundred dollars to whoever bought it. Um, they want to. They want to get it down to thirty-five. It's not there yet. Um, but so Consumer Reports tested it. Um, again, apparently it's breaking underperformed, uh, which one might expect when you pack a heavy amount of le- of um, not lead acid. Um, of when you pack a heavy battery pack in in a in a vehicle, uh, you know it's heavier than it looks. Um, but apparently the brakes underperformed. Uh, Consumer Reports gave it a do not gave it a, a negative recommendation. Don't buy one. Uh, now later, as, as we were preparing for this podcast yesterday, uh, Consumer Reports revised. And now gave it a recommend because Musk promised a an uh, a, a universal upgrade to the software apparently that made makes it work that makes it sati- makes its performance satisfactory. Uh, 
So Consumer Reports is on, you know, they're conflicted on both ends because they take a substantial amount of money from environmentalist foundations. They get money from California Endowment. They get money from the Pew Charitable Trusts. They get money from the Energy Foundation, which is the big anti-natural gas uh, funding source. That itself takes the money from Hewlett and Packard and Pew and right from from places. all 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 the big you know that it's a it's a funding vehicle for bigger environmental foundation environmentalist foundations. So, you know, I would not accuse them of revising it to satisfy their donors, but the uh, the potential that Consumer Reports you know wouldn't want to hit somebody with environmentalist bona fides too hard. Uh, you know, is always is always a possibility, and and then of course it also has conflicting ties to uh, more distant conflicting ties to labor, uh, as this UAW corporate campaign is ongoing. So, you know, that just kind of shows you how the, how this influence can work in a in a media uh, in a media capacity, even with you know ostensibly nonprofit media that takes no corporate funding, so that it tries to remain as neutral as possible, well, it's, act, you know, it's taking ideological funding, it's taking interest group funding, its board is stacked with people who are tied to all sorts of other, all sorts of other entities. You know, it, there is no such thing as no conflicting interests. Yep. Well, you mentioned uh, media, and of course, the, the next thing we should talk about uh, a bit is uh, Mr. Musk, who had been a media darling, uh, is not having such happy relations with the press lately. Yeah, now he's fighting them. Uh, in part because he's now getting hostile coverage, in part because of the UAW corporate campaign, in part because of the initial negative review from Consumer Reports, in part because the financial performance of Tesla has not been what Musk has promised. Uh, he has, he last week went on a pretty substantial Twitter tirade. Uh, against the media as an industry. He at one point said, you know, I should create a website that uh, tracks journalists' credibility. We can call it Pravda uh, after the Soviet propaganda newspaper. Now, whatever you think of the press, uh, this is an interesting heel turn from Mr. Musk as the press has turned on him. Yep. Well, uh, let's switch to his broader Influence Network. And as always, we want to remind folks that InfluenceWatch.org has extensive uh, material about the entities that we're talking about. There's an Elon Musk entry. There's a Musk Foundation entry and whatnot where you can go for more information. But uh, sketch out for us a bit the Musk Influence Network. So the Musk Influence Network is actually a good way to think about all sort of corporate influence networks just kind of in, in, in a smaller version. Uh, you know, the left likes to say, well, corporate interests spend so much money lobbying and so much money on uh, on political candidates, and, they, and yes, they do. But how they do it is very different from single-issue ideological entities and labor unions. Single-issue ideological entities, Planned Parenthood, the NRA, tend to be, you know, 90 plus one side or the other because one side represents their issue in the way that they that they favor. Labor unions, similar. 90, you know, 95 to the left. Uh, 97, 98, 99, 99 and 100. In some 
And the reason that you do that is to ingratiate yourself, regardless of who wins or loses. To have a seat at the table, no matter which way things go. So Musk, actually, uh, according to followthemoney.org, which tracks state, federal, uh, and some limited local giving, was is pretty close to 50-50 in his political uh, candidate and committee giving. Now... Given the opportunity to make a straightforward contribution that would serve his uh, his financial interests, you know, he gave money to a California ballot measure campaign in 2006 that would put a requirement for uh, so-called renewable energy, uh, which includes solar, which Solar City, <laughs> uh, yeah. um, and again, in the case of Musk, this attempts to ingratiate himself to regardless of who won uh you know he was a his foundation was a donor to the clinton foundation uh but then after uh president donald trump was elected he sat on a couple of the initial advice you know business advisory councils uh until trump made a decision that probably could theoretically hurt tesla solar city's business by withdrawing from the paris climate treaty which is to say lessening the pressure on uh, Less Nate, le- yeah, yeah, and how that, how that would, how that would, and how that would operate yeah. is because theoretically the Paris Climate Treaty could evolve into a binding cap on uh, on carbon on carbon dioxide emissions. Uh, that that would make conventional motor vehicles, you know, would have to either be taxed or, again, the French uh, have said by 2040 they are not going to permit. You know, gasoline-powered cars. Now we'll see whether that actually happens. Yes, I've, but, I'll, I'll <laughs> take that bet. Uh, but you know, theoretically, they could even be regulated out of existence, which would benefit uh, Tesla as a manufacturer of premium uh, non-petrol cars. Yep. The uh, now he also has his own foundation. Uh, with uh, around 50 million or so in assets, I believe, at, at most recent count. Uh, and that, that too, helps his business interest, doesn't it? Uh, yes. The, the Musk Foundation makes uh, contributions to environmentalist groups, uh, the Sierra Club Foundation, the, the 501c3 education arm of the 501c4 lobbying and advocacy Sierra Club, uh, the Natural Resources Defense Council, where uh, uh, DiCaprio's on the board of that, right? I think that's right. Uh, so, you know, the the Tesla the, the Tesla owner on the board of the environmentalist group, partly funded by the foundation run by the Tesla guy, uh, and then the Tide Center, which is a liberal nonprofit sponsor of other nonprofits that do, among other things, environmentalist stuff. Uh so by supporting all these advocacy groups, they then pressure state governments, the federal government, to advocate for policies like subsidies for electric cars, like subsidies for uh, solar energy that benefit Musk's business. Yep. And you mentioned uh, earlier that he has given significantly to some uh, Democrat lobbying firms like the Podesta Group, but... Uh, he also has tried hard, and and there's this is a this is a part of a much broader trend of environmentalist interests 
trying to sway Republicans, because if you can peel some Republicans uh, away from uh, right, I mean, this is how this is how business you know this is how business influence operates. You know, sometimes at the federal level, in recent years, sometimes the Republicans win and sometimes the Democrats win. And if you're all in on one side or the other, if the other side wins, then you get hurt. So, and again, this comes out after the 2016 election, the Republicans have won. The Republicans are, think, are considering a substantial rethink of the American tax code, which when a substantial part of your business is subsidized by tax code subsidies, you know, that, that's a, a lever that you want to make sure doesn't get pulled. And so how do you ingratiate yourself with, a, with Republican members of Congress? Well, you hire a lobbying firm that is aligned with the Republican Party. Lobbying firms, some of them, you know, have former staffers from both parties. They're, you know, are bipartisan lobbying firms. But then you also have partisan lobbying firms that pretty much pull from one side or the other. Uh, Podesta Group on the, Democrat, on the Democratic side before it folded was a, a good example of this. Uh, and... So, okay, well, the Republicans are in charge now. We need them to trust us. So fire the Podesta group and bring on a Republican lobby, a Republican-aligned lobbying firm that hopefully the Republican members of Congress who used to employ these Republican lobbyists will, uh, will listen to. So it sounds like one of the lessons uh, for the week is when people are appealing to you uh, to your idealistic side that, come on, man, we've got to save the planet, you may actually discover that you're really serving big business interests rather than purely you idealistic know, planet it saving doesn't, It doesn't matter what, you know, again, we're using an environmentalist here because he's in the news, but it doesn't, regardless of what high-minded ideal is being brought to you as a, as a policymaker, as a voter, if you, you need to look behind it because... There is an interest, you know, there is an interest. That interest may be, you know, an, a single-issue advocacy group that cares only about this one thing and doesn't care about any potential trade-offs, doesn't care about uh, any other, you know, any other, in, you know, any other interests in competition. It may be a corporate interest, like, say, Elon Musk, uh, which is looking for government favor. It could be a labor union which is trying to organize itself and get more, you know, and get more members and get more dues revenue and get more compelled agency fees in states like California. The there rarely is a pure. There rarely are motives that are pure, yeah, and done. and that's and that's and that's the way it's always been since you know, at, you know, since since Andrew Jackson tried to break the Bank of the United States. Yes. Well, or uh, Samuel Johnson two centuries ago uh, said all motives are mixed. So all, that's all, so all motives are mixed. That's a, one. So one lesson is uh, don't don't let folks manipulate you too easily with beautiful, perfect sounding idealistic talk, because probably there are corporate interests on both sides of any is, issue. Uh, yeah, and, 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 if, and even if those interests are ostensibly a nonprofit, they may be supported by a, by a further up-the-line corporate interest, or they may be funded by some single-issue ideologue who has some overwhelming desire to, to do something because that's what he believes is right. Yep. 
But the, the, uh, there's probably another lesson in the, the, the fascinating messiness of the Elon Musk situation, um, and, and that is uh, that your enemy's enemies may or may not be your friends. Right. Well, you know, it, other people this week <laughs> uh, who many people in, in the case of Roseanne Barr on the right— uh, thought, oh, this is my adversary's adversary, or more my friend's friend. Um, you know, well, lo and behold, do you really want to tie yourself to a 9-11 conspiracy theorist who has had pictures taking, taken of herself in a Nazi uniform putting gingerbread cookies in an oven when she then comes out and says something horribly racist about Valerie Jarrett, whatever you think of her? Uh, you know, maybe you shouldn't have, have tied yourself up with that. So now here comes along Musk, who making some very Trumpy, Trumpish noises, uh, goes after, you know, goes hard after the press. Well, he's still who he always was. He's still the subsidy farmer out in California, you know, with uh, generally social liberal views, with generally heavily environmentalist views. Uh, now, does that mean that we need to trust all the attacks on him, well, again, all the labor stuff, you know, his labor practices stuff is probably being mostly driven by the United Auto Workers, who have a vested interest. And are not known for their uh, precise accuracy. Are, are, yes, the manufacturing unions are not known for their probity, typically. Uh, you know, and again, their, their interest is to do brand damage, do brand damage, do brand damage until Musk says, okay, fine, I'm not going to continue advocating to my employees not to unionize, which he has done publicly. Uh, and then, you know, Consumer Reports comes out and gives the the Tesla three initially a negative review, then withdraws, semi withdraws, or declare I guess declares the core fault in the negative review to have been satisfied, therefore giving it a positive recommendation. Uh, you know, they're all sort of they're all sorts of conflicted. Uh, environment, you know, they have environmentalist funders who may genuine who may wish to see. Uh, you know, Tesla and the electric car as a concept advanced further than maybe it necessarily deserves to be at this point in its development cycle. Um, and again, they've they've taken money from the Ford Foundation, which has ties to both environmentalists and labor, both sides of this mess. Uh, Pew Charitable Trusts, who are pretty environmentalists, and then we mentioned the California Endowment and the Energy Foundation, which are both uh, fairly strongly environmentalist. Um, you know. So and, there's, there sounds like there is no substitute for uh, being very sober there, there is and no parsing subs- there, all of the different there, there is no substitute for giving everything a close and skeptical reading and taking and, and yes, taking stock of the conflicting of the conflicting interests. Yeah, well, uh, as always, you can learn more about those interests at influencewatch.org. That is our show for this week. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher, you should know that we broadcast a live video version at 10 a.m. on Thursdays on Facebook Live and YouTube. You can find our pages by searching Capital Research Center. And if you're watching the video version, we encourage you to subscribe to the audio on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next week.